The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Hey, good morning, church. If you are using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, you can find today's passage on page 765. We're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 33. Once you've found that in your copy of Scripture, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Can't figure out if I need to take my glasses off to see. There we go. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, this is week number two um, in our our little three-week sermon series that's riding on the back of what we saw for the previous three weeks, that missionary need. We're titling this sermon series, The Missionary Mindset. And our sermon title this morning is simply just called Eyes Wide Open. Eyes Wide Open. The missionary mindset of God's people is eyes wide open. And I think you catch the drift of why I'm using this language based upon the words of Christ that he just spoke to his disciples right on the tail end of what we saw last week. Last week, it's I'm sending you out. The harvest is plentiful. We need more labors for the harvest. Pray for more labors to be raised up and sent and to go. And what we'll see here in a couple of minutes is that the 12 disciples turn out to be the answer to their own prayer, and so they're going to go. 
But as they go, Jesus has something to say to them that they are to go with this missionary mindset into the harvest, the mindset of eyes wide open to what this looks like. So Jesus is going to give them the cost and Jesus is going to give them the encouragement of what it means for any disciple to go laboring into the harvest fields that are around us using that language that Jesus uses there at the end of Matthew 9. So I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to open our mind, to see God's Word before us this morning, that we'd be pierced by God's Word, that we'd be transformed by God's Word and conformed into the image of Jesus as a result of listening to God's Word. So I encourage you to pray as well for this, and then we'll dive into the text and see what Jesus has for us this morning. Okay, so let's ask the Lord for this. Lord Jesus, we do want to hear you clearly. And so we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see you clearly, to see our need for you clearly from this text, that you would open our ears to hear clearly, that you would keep the evil one from plucking these gospel seeds that are about to be sown from your word. We're asking, Holy Spirit, you'd open our mind to understand the scriptures in front of us and to wrestle well with what's in front of us. The word of God is like a sword. It cuts us to the very core, the very center of our soul, our heart. The word of God has the power to lay us open and to transform us and to conform us. So Holy Spirit, that's what I'm asking you to do with complete unadulterated freedom, would you have your way in us, laying us open, as it were, with your word. Use me to articulate things clearly so that Jesus would receive the glory. It's in your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you want to wrap your mind around this concept of just spiritual warfare, one of the, uh, the easiest places to go to to just see this language, biblically speaking, would be go to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, specifically the back half, the back end of Ephesians chapter 6. And when you do so, starting in verse 11, you find the Apostle Paul saying this, put on the whole armor of God, he says to those Ephesian Christians. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, he says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against the rulers. We wrestle against the authorities. We wrestle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, he says. In ways that can be seen and in ways that cannot be seen, Satan's dark kingdom plots and Satan's dark kingdom conspires with hellish fervency against the advance of God's kingdom and against the advance of the kingdom citizens that are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. If you have followed Jesus for any amount of time, then my hunch is that you know in some measure the realities of the spiritual warfare that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 in your individual life and maybe even in the corporate life of being part of a Jesus family. 
It's clear that the scriptures as far back as the Old Testament, like in the book of Daniel and the New Testament, in Ephesians 6 and in other places, that there is a spiritual war that is actively battling for the souls of men and women. There are schemes of the devil afoot and they are ever present, actively engaging to persuade men, convince men, convince women of not the need for Jesus. And that is part of the spiritual warfare that is at play in the world around us. And whenever any church, whenever any individual takes seriously to follow Jesus, the call to follow him out into the Father's harvest, like we talked about last week, we can be guaranteed this, that not only will the Lord of the harvest reap souls into his kingdom, But we can be guaranteed that the laborers who are going out into the harvest are going to also reap trouble. I think that's what Jesus is stitching together for us as we looked at what he said at the end of Matthew 9, saying, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that laborers would be sent out into the harvest. There are souls of men and women that are needing to be reaped in, and we need many laborers to go out to proclaim the gospel, call people to turn from sin and turn to Christ. And what you need to know is this, the harvest is His harvest. It's the Father's harvest. So when you pray to Him to raise up laborers, you can be guaranteed this, He is going to raise up laborers, and He is going to reap souls, as it were, out of the harvest, pulling them from Satan's dark kingdom into the good news kingdom of King Jesus. Be guaranteed of this. The harvester is in the business of harvesting. Amen. But what you can also guarantee is this. As he rolls out of Matthew 9 into Matthew 10 is this. You're going to go as sheep amongst wolves. And you're also going to reap trouble as you go representing me, King Jesus, out into the harvest. You see, living with a missionary mindset fuels something, it goads, it stokes something. And according to Ephesians 6, stitch it together with where we're at in Matthew 10, stitch those together with Matthew 9 of what we saw last week about the missionary mindset of compassionate laborers. When a church, when individuals begin to say we are going to actively live with a missionary mindset in the fields of harvest that make sense in our context, Individually and collectively, what you need to know is this. This will fuel the cosmic powers over this present darkness and goad the spiritual forces of evil into action. In the war for the souls of men and women, sleepy onlookers know little of this warfare. There's a way to avoid this kind of warfare. And we can avoid it by not entering into the harvest. There's a way for a church to never know the attacks and the schemes of the enemy by being a church that says we collectively will remain safe, remain in the four walls, we will just come and preach, we'll just come and sing, and we'll just come and pray a few prayers, and then we'll go home and we won't won't enter into the harvest. Churches who decide to do this, individuals who decide to do this, have no need to be on the receiving end of the schemes of the devil because they're not actively waging war against the devil. Does this make sense? But when a church says, in accordance to what Jesus calls us to do, we will collectively go out into the harvest as an individual in my neighborhoods, in my workplaces, with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, or whatever, I will 
Stumble forward, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, begin to enter into the harvest. What you need to know is that it paints a bullseye on your back because the enemy of our soul rages with the full fervency of the force of hell to prevent people from repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we need to know is that when we, churches, individuals, say missionary mindset, get it, Jesus is calling me to do this, I get it, we are going to walk trusting and obeying grace and obedience, grace and obedience forward in this, you just need to know this goads and fuels the spiritual forces of evil into action. The move from inert spectators to active participants with a missionary mindset into the fields of the Father's harvest, this puts us on our spiritual enemy's radar. And living with a missionary mindset stokes the schemes of the devil, which is why God's people must enter into the harvest with eyes wide open. Don't be confused about these things. Jesus is loving the 12 in Matthew 10 when he says, you're going and you are going in obedience to me. This is good and this is right and this is true. But I'm telling you, you got to go with your eyes wide open to this reality because this is what is going to be waiting for you out there in the fields of the harvest. You need to have your eyes wide open to the cost of harvesting, but you also need to have your eyes wide open to the encouragement of harvesting. And that's the two points that we're going to see this morning in the text before us. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12. He calls them to go. They go out into the harvest. Not only were they the answer to their own prayer, praying earnestly for laborers, and Jesus says, you guys are answering your own prayer. Now get going. They go out, but they also go, starting in verse 16, knowing this, the cost of harvesting. That's point number one, the cost of harvesting. That's exactly what Jesus is showing them in verses 16 through 25. There is a cost to entering into the labor fields of the harvest. So look at your Bible starting in verse 16. Notice how Jesus begins speaking to the 12 and subsequently is speaking to you and me here this morning as we carry forward the work that began with the 12 here in Matthew 10. Notice Jesus, 16. He says this, Behold, Behold, pay attention, eyes wide open, scoot to the edge of your seat, listen up. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You need to be aware of something, you need to be aware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So with eyes wide open, here's what you need to know. You first need to know this. Laboring in the harvest means you will be opposed for my sake. Laboring in the harvest means you will be opposed for my sake. That's what Jesus is saying when he starts speaking about beware of men there in verse 17. Like the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ himself, compassionate laborers shepherd the harassed and helpless. This is what we saw Jesus doing last week. And he's saying all I'm calling you to do is mimic me to go out as compassionate laborers shepherding the harassed and helpless who are far from God 
mired and dead in sin. But also, he continues to teach us, just like the chief shepherd, to go out as compassionate labor, shepherding the harassed and helpless means that as we do so, we will be like sheep in the midst of wolves. Laboring in the Father's harvest means we are going to run into physical opposition. That's some of the language that Jesus is referring to here. And you're going to run into spiritual opposition as well. Notice that Jesus explained to the twelve that they would be delivered over to courts. They would be flogged in synagogues. They're going to be dragged before governors and kings, he says. But notice in verse 18 that it's for a very specific reason. Do you see what the reason is? They're not being delivered, flogged, and dragged because they're being knuckleheads, because they're stirring up trouble in and of themselves, because they're going out with some malevolent, intense, and evil, wicked purposes, and they're trying to manipulate people, and they're just doing evil, wicked things. No, Jesus says, listen, you're going to be delivered, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be dragged, and it's all for my sake, he says for my sake. In other words, this is going to happen to you because you are representing me as you go. See, this isn't suffering as an evildoer, but this is just simply suffering on account of speaking and living like Jesus. He says you have to have your eyes wide open to this. But notice that in the midst of Jesus saying, delivered, flogged, dragged for my sake, there's comfort that Jesus gives to us. There's comfort there. While it's true that entering into the Father's harvest is going to reap opposition, notice it's also true that entering into the harvest where the harassed, where the helpless, where the shepherdless sheep reside actually puts the 12, it puts you and me in situations to bear witness about Jesus that we would not be in if we had never entered into the harvest. That's what Jesus is saying there when he says at the end of verse 18, this is going to happen to you, delivered, flogged, dragged, but notice you're going to have opportunities to bear witness about me before them and before the Gentiles. In other words, when we go out into the harvest, it's true, spiritual, physical opposition will come. Not everyone will be stoked that you're knocking on the door, that you're praying for them, that you're seeking to care for them in the name of Jesus, that you're seeking to call them to repent and believe in Jesus. Not everyone's going to be happy about that. But here's the thing. The comfort is you are getting the opportunity to speak to people you would never get to speak to if you were not going out. There's comfort in this. People are hearing about Jesus. Again, this is comfort. Comforting because we are where we are for Jesus' sake. We're not being opposed because of me or you. We're being opposed because we sort of have the aroma of Christ about us. And so it's nothing personal against us, but it is people raging against the King of Kings. The second comfort is this. In this place, we must remember that we are not alone. We go out, says Jesus, recognizing that opposition will come, but it's not against you. It's against Christ in you. And you also need to know, though, as you go out and face the opposition, you do not go alone. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 19 and 20. You are not going alone. Take heart. Be comforted. An anxious heart 
Jesus is saying, can melt into peace because we will not be abandoned by God when we go. Do you see what Jesus is saying there starting in verse 19? In verse 19, Jesus says how we are to speak and what we are to say, what? will be given to us in that hour when we find ourselves in these various places. So I'm not sending you out and then just going, wow, I sure hope you are very intelligent and you know how to just whip this up on your own and can speak in ways that make sense in the thick of the moment. Jesus isn't saying that. He says, no, when you go, you need to know this. I'm not sending you out to abandon you. I'm sending you out and I'm going with you, as it were. How? By the Spirit. Notice, therefore, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. You can go out trusting in the Lord alone. You can go out recognizing he has not abandoned me. And when you recognize that, yes, laboring in the fields is laboring in the fields. Opposition will be there. We go with eyes wide open to this. But I also go with the full confidence of heaven's promise that when I go, I will promise not be abandoned by the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us will be there with us in that moment. And He, the Spirit of the Father, says Jesus, will give us the words to say, to know how to speak, to know how to act in those moments. And so when an anxious heart begins to arise, some of you guys were maybe a little anxious hearing, wow, I think this is serious. Like, we're we're talking about this in serious ways. And you could just feel your heart begin to get a little sweaty. Ooh, man, I'm I'm glad I wore a degree this morning, right? Instead of my other fake, you know, cheaper deodorant. Because the heat's turning up here. Like, right, I'm getting sweaty. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little anxious. Jesus says, one, I get it. I get it. But you don't have to be. Your anxiety can actually melt into the sweet release of peace. Because I'm not sending you out as sheep among wolves to be on your own and defend for yourselves. I'm sending you out with the full promise of heaven and the king of heaven that you're not going to be abandoned. That the Holy Spirit is there walking with you, living, dwelling in you. Therefore, when you go, go out wise as serpents. Be shrewd, be smart, but also go out harvesting innocent as doves. Harmless, pure, entrusting yourselves to the power of the Spirit in you to lead you to say what needs to be said in that moment, entrusting yourselves that when the going gets tough, the Father doesn't turn tuck tail and run, but he presses in even closer and walks with you through it. So there's a cost, eyes wide open, but there's comfort, okay? Now go into verses 21 and 22 with eyes wide open. Know this, says Jesus, laboring in the harvest means you will be betrayed and hated. It just keeps sort of getting worse, doesn't it? You're going to be opposed, you're going to be delivered, you're going to be flogged, you're going to be dragged. Oh, by the way, you're going to be betrayed and you're going to be hated. It's like, well, all right, you know, the good news sermon of the day. But there's actually incredibly good news here. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. Father, his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all. Notice here it is again. For what? My name's sake. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Betrayed and hated, this is the cost of a missionary mindset. Listen, it might be shocking to hear these words on the lips of Jesus, but it is the words of Jesus. The kingdom of God is a divisive thing. To speak of the kingdom of God, to invite people into the kingdom of God, to, sell, to, to help people recognize that outside of Christ you are a part of Satan's dark kingdom. We need to be plucked out, transferred, delivered into the kingdom of the beloved son. That's Colossians 1 language. It's a divisive thing to speak in that kind of language. If you don't believe me, if you just scan your eyes down to verse 34. So our text this morning ends in verse 33. But notice how Jesus continues to speak starting in verse 34. In the verses right after our text, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household, he said. This is another sermon for another time, but it's a little dis dissonance there when we're like, Jesus is the prince of peace, and he's saying, I'm not coming to bring peace. Those, those aren't at odds with one another. They're actually friends. Like I said, that's a sermon for another day, but what Jesus is helping us see is this. When you go and begin to actively live with a missionary mindset, it sort of drives wedges, and it has a way of just dividing people into groups. Surely you've seen this in some way, shape, or form. Going to work tomorrow and say, John 14, 6 says, according to Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And see if all the workplace collapses into one big happy, happy family of unity, or see if it does this, splits. And in that moment, you're not splitting it because you're screaming and yelling, veins popping out of your neck, red and sweaty, ah, like the crazy Bible thumper pro- Just speak that truth. The kingdom of God has a way of dividing. And Jesus is saying, you need to know you're going to go out and you're going to talk. And some people are going to hear it and it's going to like lay hold of them and it's going to pull them in closer to where they say, I have to find out more about this Jesus. And for some people, it's going to slice them and it's going to cut them to the quick and they're going to say, if this is what this Jesus guy is about, I don't want anything to do with it. And they're going to turn and they're going to go. But Jesus says, when you go, you need to know this. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be hated for these reasons. Listen, if you follow Jesus, you will almost certainly be misunderstood. And the people you would least suspect, even family members, says Jesus, may turn on you. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, says Jesus. People simply will not like you when you proclaim Jesus. The question to ask is, why? Why? Have you ever been in that situation before? Found yourself, Holy Spirit, turns a gospel doorknob, door opens up, you share Jesus. You weren't screaming, you weren't yelling, you weren't manipulating, you just simply were true to the fact the Holy Spirit gave you words in that moment to be able to proclaim clearly the simple gospel of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that sinners can have eternal life. You just were able to lay it out on the table. And what you received on the back end was a lot of not love. Why? 
One of the simplest questions is why did they hate? One of the simplest questions to ask is why did they hate you in that moment? The simple answer is this: is because the world hates Jesus. The world system, the structure, the way of thinking outside of Christ is we rage against Christ. In other words, the cost of living like Jesus, says Jesus, the cost of proclaiming the gospel like Jesus, the cost of laboring in the harvest like Jesus, the cost of shepherding like Jesus is I will be treated like Jesus. This is what he says in verses 24 and 25. You see it there in your, in your copy of your of your Bible. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Well, how do they treat the master? How do they treat teacher Jesus? Well, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is another word for Satan, the devil, then how much more will they malign those of his household? That's you, that's me for those of us in Christ. I mean, have you ever noticed that when someone goes into the world doing good deeds and helping others with their needs without saying anything about Jesus, the world is entirely fine with that? Have you ever noticed that before? But when we go into the world doing these exact same things, also telling people that Jesus is the only way to be saved from sin, he's the only way to be saved from eternal death, he's the only way to be saved from hell, the world responds very much differently. Persecution in its various forms will come. Verse 23 says this so. Notice Jesus says, not if you are persecuted, but when. The Bible has a lot to say about this. 2 Timothy 3, Acts 13, I think my mind is remembering rightly. Talking about these ideas that if you live a godly life, if you live a life that has the aroma of Christ to it, and others start catching a whiff of that aroma of Christ because of the way you act and the way you think and the way that you speak and the way that you live and what you do and what you don't do, you're leaving a scent, as it were, the aroma of Jesus. And people begin to go, that smells like death to me. And I don't want anything to do with that aroma. So persecution comes. And especially then when you begin to say, I think you might need a little bit of this perfume yourself to keep the illustration going. And they're like, ah, don't you go squirting Jesus on me <laughs> if you want to use it in that language. I don't want none of your Jesus, none of that aroma. Persecution in its various forms will come. Persecuted, hated, betrayed, opposed, all these are more and more are inevitably going to accompany the missionary mindset of laboring in the fields. So go with what? Eyes wide open. Now, Jesus is loving the 12 disciples by telling them this. I'm going to imagine that upon hearing this, they got a little fearful. Anyone here a little fearful about hearing that? Yeah, I am. Okay? Pastor Jonathan, I mean like, I usually don't wake up in the morning and go, you know what, what can I do today to be delivered, flogged, opposed, persecuted, hated, and betrayed? I'm going to do that times a thousand today. We, we don't tilt in that direction. Yeah? We usually tilt in the direction of, man, whatever that is, uh, thank you very much. What's 180 degrees opposite of this? I'm going to make sure I do that to avoid this with the fervency of everything within me. But notice what Jesus is saying. Guys, 
Part of the reason you've been redeemed is so we can go out into the fields that are plentiful and do this. So that's not an option to say, avoid these things by not doing this. The call is, no, we must go and do this. Eyes wide open, verses 16 through 25, this is the reality of what accompanies that. But let me lay on you some extreme encouragement to help you fight the fear that is rising up within you right now. Okay, this is Jesus, low, Jesus gentle, caring, counseling, walking beside us in this. Because for those of us who raised our hands, we're being honest about how fearful and anxious this makes us. For those of us who didn't raise our hands, we were too fearful and anxious to raise our hands and say, I'm fearful and anxious. My, my trust is this, is that in some way, shape, or form, all of us find some degree of anxiety and fear begin to grip our heart and mind when the Bible says the call is to go and you're going to be opposed as you go. So in order to encourage us not to say, well, I'm just not going to go, and that's how I'm going to avoid all the opposition, Jesus says, no, go as opposed ones, but go resting in this extreme encouragement. See, the cost of laboring in the Father's harvest is overly alarming. These are alarming verses 16 through 25. And it's verses like verses 16 through 25. These verses are the reason why many settle for religious routine and settle for comfortable Christianity. It's because religious routine and comfortable Christianity that doesn't labor in the fields is very safe. It's a safe place. It's a frightening thing to realize that if we proclaim the name of Christ, people will betray, the world will hate, and we will be persecuted. But here's the good news. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this. Your Savior knows this about your heart. He knows the fears that can grip us. And he doesn't say, get your act together. He doesn't kick us in the pants. He doesn't say, go fix yourself and come back, and then I'm going to send you out. He says, no, I know this about you. I know the anxiety and the fear. And so what I'm going to do is help shepherd you even Knowing the fears that can tempt us in these things, I'm going to shepherd you so that as you count the cost of harvesting, you go out with the encouragement of harvesting. And that's point number two, the encouragement of harvesting. Notice the remaining verses of our text this morning, 26 to 33. These verses extend the invitation to have no fear of what we are prone to fear. Three different times, he's going to say, fear, fear, fear. He's addressing fear in these verses. But what Jesus is doing is saying, listen, I'm extending you an invitation. I want you to have no fear of what we are prone to fear, and I want you to fear that which alone should be feared. That's the language that Jesus is about to use for us. So, fear is probably one of the biggest obstacles, wouldn't you say, that keeps any Christian from laboring in the Father's harvest, yes? I mean, is this just true? It's true for me. I mean, I, I don't wake up in the morning begging to be persecuted. 
It's just not natural. If you do, we probably have another counseling session that we need to have where you're just like, please, I want to be opposed today. And you go rushing out into the world. It's like, man, we, we probably have other counseling things we need to talk about. Most of us don't tilt in that direction. And one of the biggest obstacles from laboring in the harvest is that fear of everything that Jesus has talked about. Therefore, we need to know, according to Jesus, what Jesus says about overcoming this fear. Jesus gives us three things. First, he says this, have no fear of man. Have no fear of man. Jesus recognizes that fear of man can keep us from doing these things. Anyone ever been there before? Opportunity to speak boldly for Jesus, and you're like, man, if I say this, this identifies me very clearly with Jesus. This person in front of me, I, I don't want them to think of me in a certain way. And so because I don't want them to think of me in a certain way, and I don't want what they could probably do to me in that moment actually happen to me, fear of man overrides fear of God, and then we close our mouths. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've been there before. But Jesus is leading us in this way. He says this, have no fear of man. It's verses 26 and 27. So stitch this together. Verse 17, what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, verse 17, beware of men. Beware of men. They will deliver, they will drag, they will betray, they will hate, they will persecute you for my name's sake. But verse 26, have no fear of them. Fear of who? Fear of these men who deliver, drag, betray, hate, persecute for my name's sake. Why? For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. This is encouragement, number one, from Jesus in regard to fear of man. How is what he's saying an encouragement to have no fear of man? comes down to this. Jesus is saying this. Take heart because the way we fight fear is by realizing that evil deeds covered, the scheming plans of the enemy that are hidden, they cannot truly remain concealed. There is coming a day when the spiritual forces of evil, the cosmic powers of darkness are going to be exposed. What you need to know is that they are waging war as an already defeated enemy because of what Jesus has accomplished at the cross. What you need to know is that you can fight the fear of man by recognizing that your enemy is already a weakened and bound enemy. And so we can go in those ways. Jesus is teaching them that no power of hell, there is no scheme of man that can outmaneuver our Father in heaven. Darkness has a way of empowering wickedness, hiding things, covering things, schemes and evil deeds made and put into place in the dark corners of, of minds and hearts. Darkness just has a way of empowering wickedness, which is why evil is so often done in the dark. But Jesus here is saying, listen, you need to know this. The truth will out. It is going to happen. The way we crush the fear of man is by clinging to the promise that even the darkness is not dark to the Lord God, for darkness is as light with him. Psalm 139. So we're going out, you're talking, you're sharing with your neighbor or whatever it is, and you begin to see that there's just schemes of the enemy, and you don't have to be fearful in that moment because even if there's things that you can't quite see or put your thumb on or whatever, you're laboring under the promise that what we do not know, the Father does know, and so we're banking on that promise. Therefore, let the dual fact that what men want kept secret will be exposed 
and that what God whispers in His Word will never return void, let these dual truths crush the fear of man to death. Crush it to death. Second, Jesus says, while it's true you are to have no fear of man, verse 28, I do want you to fear God, he says. Verse 28, do fear God. What does Jesus say? Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, Jesus' point is that the fear of God is the fear that cancels fear. You hear what I'm saying? The fear of God, Jesus is saying, is the fear, the right, proper, true fear that the Scriptures call us to. It's that fear which cancels and counteracts and overpowers the fear of man. Just as a greater affection can drive out a lesser one, so a greater fear, Jesus is saying, can overcome a lesser one. And in this case, the fear of man is overcome by the fear of God. This is a category that is huge in the Scriptures. There's a lot to say about the fear of the Lord, the right, proper, true, and righteous fear of God. But in a nutshell, to fear God is to treat God with the respect He's worthy to receive. It's to live before Him with a reverence and an awe that matches His greatness. It's to recognize that glory and majesty and power and dominion and authority belong to our God, our Savior, and no one else. I'm going to align my life properly with what I eat, sleep, think, breathe, do, don't do in accord with that. That's to have a proper fear of the Lord. And according to Jesus, to fear God is to live with confident assurance that He alone holds my eternity in His powerful, powerful hand. All that men can do is kill the body. But God is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Thus, the person who fears God alone need never fear any man or any group of men. There's nothing that hell or Satan's schemes can do to pluck us from his hand, we sing in the old hymn. And it's that confident assurance of I am securely gripped in the God who's justified me and declared me right with sovereign decree because of faith in Jesus Christ alone. I am resting on that. So when I go, I'm going to be opposed. People are going to use words. My feelings are probably going to get hurt. There might be mild or severe forms of persecution. Opposition will come. I might be hated. But ain't no one plucking me from the Father's hand. It's that fear of God, Jesus says, allow that to trump and crush the fear of man to death. Lastly, verses 29 through 33, Jesus encourages laborers in the harvest to have no fear of the future. No fear of man. Do fear God. Have no fear of the future, he says. Look at verse 33. Jesus tells us that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. It's these men, these women, known and acknowledged by Jesus before the Father, who can fight fear with the fact that our Father in heaven will take care of us. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? 
but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Listen, our Father rules us sovereignly. If he is in control of sparrows falling into the ground, then he is more than able and capable to care for his compassionate laborers. Amen? That's the comparison Jesus is making. If he cares for that little birdie outside, he can care for you. Our Father knows us completely. If every hair of our head is numbered, then we can, we can collapse into the safety of being known by that kind of God, by that kind of good Father. And if our Father loves us deeply, then we can rest that the one who calls us to labor in the harvest fields is good, then there's no reason to fear what may come in the future. No reason to fear. Eyes wide open. We're entering the harvest. Don't hear me say this is going to be high fives and puppy dogs, just a rainbow walk along the primrose path, and it's all going to be great. My hunch is this, if I understand the scriptures rightly, that as our church begins to do this, collectively and then individually in our lives, the schemes of the enemy will rage against this little Jesus family. There will be more attempts at division, more attempts at disunity, more attempts at disruptions, more attempts at tempting us away from these things, increased anxieties, increased fears, because the enemy of our soul, the prince of the power of the air, hates the fact that a Jesus family is about to take seriously what Jesus is calling us to take seriously. And so what do we do? Do we step back and be like, I don't want any of that. So I'll just sit comfortable. Or do we say, man, I'm going to trust Jesus. Let's enter into the harvest. Opposition and betrayal and hatred and persecution is going to come. But man, we have three overt encouragements to not fear man. To keep striving to fear God. And recognizing I don't have to have any fear about the future because he sovereignly loves, he sovereignly cares for me, he knows me completely, he loves me deeply, so let's go. That's the eyes wide open approach to the missionary mindset, okay? I love you guys. I'm excited for the days ahead. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. Let's ask him to do what only he can do right now. And then we'll wrap it up, okay? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us in these things. Help us to walk in ways that are in line with what you call us to do. Help us to collapse on you in all things. Lord, we do ask that you would send out laborers in the harvest. We do ask that you would help us to see what this looks like for our lives individually and collectively. But we also pray that you would lovingly care for us to walk in such a manner with a missionary mindset of eyes wide open, to truly count the cost as Jesus calls us to count the cost, but then truly bank with our heart, soul, mind, and strength on the encouragement to have no fear. Christ, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.